This is Mount Pleasant United Methodist Church. Welcome to our sermon podcast. And I have a confession to make that I had to ask Cassie for some of the Hebrew pronunciation, so forgive me if I don't get them perfectly right. Our reading this morning comes from 1 Kings 19, verses 1 through 18. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. The Lord appears to Elijah, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Saphat, from Abel, Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazel and Elisha, and will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Amen.
How many of you were appalled with her Hebrew? Say, so, oh, if that's Hebrew, because it's all Greek to me. Well, it's good to have you here this morning. Um, we're in a kind of a funny space and time in, in, in church life. We've just kind of come out of Christmas. And many of you already know this, that Christmas is kind of a high point in church life. You know, we start very early, as a matter of fact, even in our culture, right? I mean, Christmas decorations start popping out even almost around Halloween time, trying to get you to buy more and do more. And we decorate our sanctuary. This place is really decked out, and we do it just wonderfully. Um, and we celebrate Christmas, and it's, we have all those evening worships, and it's just a, a really, it's a sacred moment. It's, it's a time when we come at Christmas to celebrate that one transcendent message that Jesus is sharing. Emmanuel, God is with you. God will be with you. And we love it, don't we? I mean, isn't Christmas a great time? But, but we're not in Christmas, are we? We're in January, and last year, this time in January, um, and I'm not sure if it was this Sunday or the one before, it was like six below. It was frost, so I'm, I'm loving this temperature, right? There's no excuse for us in temperature like this not to be here. But a strange thing starts to happen to us this time of year. Maybe you're not really aware of it because it just kind of washes over you, but pretty soon, the decorations start going back in the box, don't they? And maybe as you're put packing all of the decorations, you kind of say, so what happened? What, what was it all about? What did it really matter? Were you changed by it? Did anything really happen? We come to this time in January, kind of January and February, People get a little bit, you know, more depressed. The sun doesn't shine. There's, there's a little bit more hazy outside. Things um, aren't really happening. There's no great moments. And, and maybe you notice now that the pews are maybe a little bit more empty than they were during Advent season or during Christmas. And maybe you get to that place where you kind of go, so tell me, what was it all about? What were we doing what will the new year be for us? What is God doing? If Emmanuel has come, has it come to you? Or is it only happening for other people? We've been talking for the last couple of weeks about a, the journey that we're on and, and this idea that this concept, maybe in the back of your mind, that you were made for more. Let me ask you in the back of your mind, in your own thought process, do you think you personally were made for more? Or is that something that always happens to somebody? It happens to somebody else. My time has passed. God doesn't need me. God won't use me. Maybe some, and I've noticed that over time, it isn't that people don't believe it's possible. They just don't believe it's for them personally. Maybe it's because your schedule is so filled. You, you've, you've become distracted. I can't fit in one more thing. I'm filled to the, to the full and to the brim. I just don't have time to do or to be anymore. That's possible. You, you haven't created space for God in your life. God, for, for you, faith is what happens on a Sunday morning time slot if you have it available to you. Some people become disillusioned. Every year, I keep doing the same thing, but nothing ever changes, right? 
Who, who was it that said one definition of, of insanity is to do the same thing over and over again and expect different results? Sometimes we do that in our own faith journey. You are at the same place that you were today that you were 10 years ago. Nothing is changing. Nothing is happening. And you say, what's the point of it all? What, what are we doing? Maybe you just want to give up. And maybe there are those distractions that keep you from experiencing what God is doing. In the Old Testament, there are different characters that live out this kind of faith journey. They, they have the same struggles that we do. And I know that sometimes we look at the Old Testament and say, well, that was a different culture. That was, that was certainly a different time. It doesn't really count for people like us. But I think that you'll see that in some of the Old Testament prophets, they lived in exactly the same things that we're going through. There are different people in the Bible that I, I simply cannot relate to. For example, the Apostle Paul. I, personally, I have a tough time relating to him personally. And what I mean is, is the Apostle Paul was put into, into prison in Rome. The emperor at that time had sentenced him to execution. And he was waiting execution in Rome when he writes a letter to his friends in Philippi. And he writes and he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. I don't, I'm sorry, I struggle with that. If you were sitting in prison today, waiting for an execution for preaching good news, would you be able to say, hey, things are going great? I have a tough time with that. But there is a character in the Old Testament that I seem to be able to relate to. Now, you may think it's a little quirky, but I'm able to relate a little bit better to Elijah in our story today. The story of Elijah, of going through this experience that he has. And I want to kind of give you a little bit of background to what is happening in Elijah's story. Kelly did a great job of reading from 1 Kings chapter 19, but the chapter that precedes this is one of the highlights of Elijah's ministry. Elijah has this wonderful event. Elijah lives in a time where the government is almost separate from what the people are doing. There's this anxiety between the, the powers that be, the, the government and the people that are living. I don't know if you can relate to that at all. I mean, I don't know if we have any tensions in our government today. But Elijah lived in that and he called people back to their foundations, to their roots. He called them back to the Lord God. What had happened is the king and queen, Ahab and, and Jezebel, had established a different religion, the, the religion of Baal. And it was a way for them to control people, for them to get taxes, for them to manipulate and keep themselves into power. But Elijah was the prophet of God, and he kept calling people back to the traditional faith of who God really is. So in chapter 18, Elijah says, I've, I'm done with it. We're going to have a grudge match. I'm going to prove to you once and for all that there is only one, and he is the creator of all that is. In our own time, you might think, Elijah said, I'm going to go rent Madison Square Garden, and we're going to have one of those cage matches between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And what he does is he goes to a place called Mount Carmel. And on Mount Carmel, he says, we're going to set up two altars. You put your sacrifice and your wood on that one, and I'm going to do mine. And whoever can ask their God to come down and consume it will be the God. And so they do. They build this great altar. 
And Elijah says, I'm going to go even farther. I'm going to make sure that it wasn't just an accident. I'm going to ask you to pour water all over my altar so that the wood is soaked. It's just sitting in water. And so the prophets of Baal begin to pray and they begin to plead for Baal to come and they start whipping themselves, trying to to give a sacrifice and nothing ever happens. And so Elijah begins to pray and fire rains down. And it tells us not only does the fire come down and consume the sacrifice, it consumes the wood and then it consumes the stone and then it begins to consume the very earth that it's on. And finally, there is no doubt whatsoever that there is only one God. And so Elijah is fired up. He says, this is what I've been looking for. Finally, we're getting the attention of these people because they finally start to cry out and they say, there is only one Lord God and he is the ruler of all. I think all of us in that get involved in church life, we we go through these high moments of, of Easter and of Christmas And we say, people are so enthusiastic, they're connecting again, they're coming back home. And then we come to January or we come to the days after Easter and the numbers fall off, whether it's in January or it's August, and people begin to fade away. And we say, what happened? Where where did the energy go? God, what are we doing here? What is this really all about? As a matter of fact, I had a lady came back and she was, this week, she was down in the food pantry and she said, well, we had two people, and one of them said that he attends here regularly. I said, really? I said, yeah. She said, I didn't recognize him, but he said that he comes here at least on Christmas and Easter. And for him, that was a regular attendance. So, God, what, what are we doing here? Have you ever gotten to that even in your own life? You seem like you're, you're on a treadmill. You're just kind of going through the motions. God, what are we doing here? What is this all about? So Elijah gets to that moment, that moment of exhilaration, and he's on fire. And then there's the total collapse of his his faith and his desire. And so oftentimes we get to a place where we want to be more, but then we're tempted to just give up. The energy begins to fade, and, and we say, God, I'm not sure where we're going with all of this. Elijah needs a new connection with God, and maybe you do too. Maybe your faith after Christmas is beginning to wane, the energy is beginning to slide, January flows into February, and you're going, what's the point? Nobody's really going to miss me this week. So Elijah has a voice to speak to you. Just as he speaks to me, maybe there's something here he wants to say to you as well. In chapter chapter 18, It tells us that Elijah called down fire from heaven and the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the soil and also licked up the water in the trenches. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and they cried out, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. This is exactly what Elijah wanted. The people have turned, they're ready to go. And this is an artist rendition of perhaps what had happened. There's that cry, that catalytic moment, that high point where everybody is absorbed into what God is doing. And so it tells us that Elijah is caught up in the spirit and in the energy of what God is doing. And so what does he want to do? He wants to see it sweep across the entire country. It tells us that the power of the Lord came upon Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab, who was the king at that time, who was there with him, all the way to Jezreel. Now, at this point, if, you, if you're a student 
of the first kings, you know that Jerusalem, the kingdom, the capital had been transferred from Jerusalem to this new palace that um, Jezebel and Ahab, that Ahu um, had put together, Ahab had put together. And it is in Jezreel. And so here's a map, and I want to kind of go, because this is kind of a little bit important. So Elijah has had this phenomenal moment at the top top of Mount Carmel. This is Mount Carmel up here. He then runs down to Jezreel to the capital. Why does Elijah go from Mount Carmel to Jezreel? He's on the power of the Lord. He tucks his cloak in. It tells him that he runs ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel where he is already a condemned man. He is already under a sentence because Elijah believes that this is going to sweep, that people are going to rise up. Either Jezebel and Ahab are going to turn from their ways or God or the people are going to rise up and sweep them out of office and a new, a new fire is going to sweep, a new revival is going to take over and people are going to be different. But that doesn't happen. As a matter of fact, Jezebel isn't even scared at all about what is unfolding. It tells us in 1 Kings 19 that Jezebel says, Ahab, he says, I'm sorry, Elijah, if you are not dead by this time tomorrow, may the gods deal with me ever so severely if I don't have you killed by this time tomorrow. She's threatening him. The power, that, the enthusiasm that they once had has so quickly faded. And so Elijah fades, and he runs all the way from Jezreel to Beersheba. And it tells us that in Beersheba, he leaves his servant there. It tells us particularly that he leaves his servant there, and that he falls and he gets so exhausted while he's there. Now, the reason that it tells us that is because Elijah is not a rich man that he has a servant. He has a servant because he is a prophet, because that's his job. And so essentially what Elijah is doing is saying, I quit. I can't take this anymore. Everything that I've tried, I've, I've tried to do my very best, but people are not responding. I quit, I'm out. And it tells us that he goes under a broom tree and he falls asleep. From there, the angel comes to him and eventually he makes it all the way to Mount Horeb which is at the southern part of the peninsula. So what you can see is how far he has to travel. I actually got a picture here. Um, This is Mount Carmel here. This is the Mediterranean. This is Mount Carmel. He runs all the way to Jezreel. Now, during our our trip just this fall, there's a little uh, town there. There's a little tell called Megiddo, Tell of Megiddo, and we were able to go there and look across the Jezreel Valley. This is a rather long valley, but Elijah runs from these mountains all the way to Jezreel in order to begin this process of transformation, but the people don't respond. So the question that I want to ask you is the same question that Elijah is asking. What do you do when despair takes the place of faith? When you don't understand what is coming next, when the path that you're on seems foggy or or chaotic, and and you're not really sure where you're going, and you say, God, what are we doing here? The first thing that I think is so beautiful about Elijah, as a matter of fact, you got to understand, Elijah in this picture is suicidal. 
He's so depressed. When an angel of the Lord comes to him, he said, Lord, just take my life. I'm done. I have nothing left to live for. What, everything that I thought was valuable is gone. The future is bleak. I gave my very best. I gave all the energy to this event on Mount Carmel, and still people are not responding. In that moment, he lays down. And he lays down under a broom tree because he's just utterly exhausted. If you've ever gotten to that point, and I believe a lot of people do, either you're going through a crisis in your job or your relationship or your family, where you're just kind of going through the motions. Every year looks like the next one, and, and every event is just followed by something new. And you're saying, God, what is happening in my life? Who am I? Essentially, what Elijah is trying to figure out is, God, who am I in your kingdom? What am I supposed to be doing? Everything that I thought was important isn't working. And so he lays down under a tree. The first thing I think that we need to have is a sense of solitude in our lives. I love the way this story unfolds. As Elijah lays down under this tree, an angel of the Lord comes to him. Now the angel is sent by God to minister to Elijah. Now, think about all of the other religions that you know of, about how God interacts with his people. You don't see the angels coming and saying to Elijah, Elijah, I have good news of great joy, which will be to all people. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, Elijah, get up, buck up. He doesn't even say, hey, Elijah, you want to talk about this? How are you feeling there, buddy? What does God do for us in that moment of crisis? He cooks them a meal. He makes them some food. And he says, rest. What you need is rest. Sometimes we forget that humanness in us all. That sometimes we think when we come to church that it's all about the spiritual side. Because so often that is the part of us that we neglect. But in this moment, Elijah needs just a good walk in the woods, a little bit of solitude, and a little bit of rest. And the question I want to ask for you is, sometimes you need to get that rest as well. Sometimes we are going at 90 miles an hour, more texts, more emails, our schedules are full. You may be even thinking right now the things that you've got to get done this afternoon. And God is simply saying, rest, get some sleep. The journey is too great for you. Have you ever felt like that, that you're just on a, f just your, the ends of your life are just frayed? I know a person in, that came in the other day that, that talked about how when they're at home alone, they just turn the TV on, not really watching it. They just can't stand the solitude because I believe that solitude has a power that few of us can, can, can bear. It speaks to you. It allows those deeper thoughts to begin to come up to the surface about who you are and what you're all about. And we don't like that. So we keep it down. We, we keep the noise around us. We have more cell phones and more technology, more podcasts, more things to listen to, more things to distract us from what's really going on. How much is solitude a part of your life? How much is it a part of Elijah's life? For Elijah, he'd been running constantly, trying to do more. He had put all of his energy into this one transformational moment, this one Christmas celebration, and now they have to live out the rest of their life. 
And so Elijah, the first thing that God does to restore Elijah is restore him to solitude. The second thing that happens that is really quite interesting and why I wanted to bring up this passage is because he also needs to come to a different understanding of worship, like we all do. We all come on Sunday and we kind of go through a routine and we say, we did worship. So Elijah goes from Beersheba all the way to Mount Horeb. Now you know Horeb by a different name, an older name. It's Mount Sinai. It's the, it's the mountain of God. He goes back to the very mountain where Moses encountered God. Now, if you know your Bible text, you know that Bo Moses encountered God through a burning bush, through fire. And so Elijah goes back and he's hiding in a cave. And that, that metaphor of a cave is one that we all live in. So often we're hiding ourselves away from what God is calling us to do. Do you ever believe that you were made for more? Not if you're hiding in a cave. So the question is, is how does God draw you out into a new life? He tells Elijah, go into the cave and, and then come. He actually says, come out of the cave because God is about to pass by. And as Elijah is about to do this, a mighty wind comes. And it tells us a mighty wind came, but it God was not in the wind. Now, we know that the wind was sent by God because we know that in old other prophecies and other stories, when Job encountered God, Job encountered God in a mighty storm. So God has shown up these ways before. And then there was an earthquake. The earth shook and rocks split. But God was not in an earthquake. In other parts of the Bible, When Jesus dies on the cross, the earth shakes and the rocks split, and a Roman soldier says, surely this was the Son of God. God has used that in the past. And finally, there was a fire. And of course, in Moses' time, fire represented the presence of God, but God was not in the fire. What is it will draw Elijah? What, what is it that's going to draw you out of a complacent protected, comfortable life. You have to be able to hear that still, small voice. You have to be silent enough and still enough. When Elijah begins to hear the whisper, that's what gives it safe enough to become, to come out and be in the presence of God. That new kind of worship where you hear the whisper of God calling you by name. And Elijah needs to recognize that God is not always in the great spectacular events that we perform. God is not always in the fire that rains down. When you think God will be in the fire, he's going to be in a whisper. When you're looking for the whisper, he may be in the fire. You can't put God in a box. And, and Elijah says, I thought for sure, God, you were going to do it this way. And God said, I've got other plans. So the first thing that we have to recognize is we all need a moment of solitude to say, God, who are you in my life now, today? God, where is that whisper, that voice that is inviting me into a new kind of understanding of my role in my life? And finally, Elijah's ready to give up. Every time God says, Elijah, why are you here? Whenever God asks you a question, It's never to get information 
It's always to give you information. He's not saying, he doesn't go into the cave and say, Elijah, what are you doing here? I didn't expect you here this morning. He said, Elijah, what are you doing here? And maybe this morning as you sit in your pew on the first Sunday of Epiphany, have you ever heard God whisper, Steve, what are you doing here? What is it you're looking for? Where do you think you will find me? What is it that you think is going on here? Elijah had lost his way. He had become suicidal and he said, Lord, I only see bad things. The Israelites have broken your promises. They've turned their back on you. They're killing all of the prophets and I'm the only one left and I want to die too. I just want to end it all. What he has lost as well as many of us is he's lost that sense of mission. What are we here to do? And God says, Elijah, I want you to stand up and I want you to go back. And I want you to anoint Haziel, king of Aram. And I want you to anoint Jehu. And I want you to anoint Elisha. What he's saying is, is, Elijah, I have and I have always had a plan. It may not be your plan. It may not be the way you think it is. You may be shocked to find that I'm going to use Haziel, who is a Gentile from another region, that I'm going to actually use people that that you're not aware of. He said, I also have 7,000 that have never bowed a knee, that I'm going to use them. You don't know who they are yet. You think that all these people are going to be just like you? They're not. Because I'm about to do a new thing. I'm about to do something that you've never thought of before. And that's what we are all about exploring what God is doing that we never thought or imagined, to use people just like you that show up on January 12th looking for a new opportunity to stand up and to be counted for the 7,000 that have never bowed a knee or never kissed a false god. So how do we do that? I want to give you some things that I hope that you will maybe embrace in the new year. The first thing is, is, Okay, so he asked, sorry, I missed that one. So he asked you, why are you here? The first thing is I want is we've got to learn to stop the glorification of busyness. Being overly busy is an excuse. Being overly busy is an excuse. You don't want to be silent. You, you don't want to think that somebody else can do it. You you need that affirmation. Elijah had become so consumed with his role of leading the charge that he failed to see that maybe God was doing something else. Creating space for God to whisper. Sometimes even in Elijah's life, he had to break him down in order for him to get through to what the truth is. Sometimes we go through real hardships in order to experience the better part of what God is doing. The second thing, embrace your doubts. I'm a big fan of doubts because they are the catalyst for growth. The problem is, is if you have doubts and then you just sit on them and say, well then, if I don't know, it's unknowable. If you have doubts, if you have questions, if you're a student of the scriptures of what God is doing in our lives and the purpose of life, begin to explore the deeper things of God. Stop waiting in the shallow end of the pool. Begin to learn how to go to the deep and experience the fullness. Elijah, even this fiery prophet, is learning new things about who God is. 
For Elijah, God was only in the big fire demonstration and events. What God had to teach him, as he has to teach us, is that sometimes God is in a whisper that often goes unnoticed. Start embracing your doubts and start listening for the whisper. The simple things, the little things that happen every day, not just on Sunday morning, but at the dinner table or at the office or when the phone call rings that comes out of the unexpected. Maybe those are those whispers that say, it's time to move. It's time to get going. It's time to be active. And Elijah began to experience God in a whole new way. I believe that deep down inside each of you was created for this moment, that, the, that God looked at the universe and said, you know what, I need one of them too. I need one of them to complete the story, to fulfill the mission of transforming the world. But over time, we lose sight of what that is. We get off track and, and we fail to see what we can do and we say, I know that God can't use somebody like me. But I believe that God has made all of us for something more. And trying to get through all of the distractions, all of the busyness, all of the disillusionment, and all of the defeats in order to embrace who you really are. Elijah had to do it. And, and I understand Elijah a whole lot more. But I'm also understanding through his story a whole lot more about me, of what I'm called to do, and where I'm called to do it. And I pray that you too join us in that journey, not just during Christmas and during Epiphany, but every day say, God, I'm here this morning to learn more about my story as you continue to reveal it. Draw me out of the cave of arrogance and pride and self-centeredness. Draw me out that I can live in the glory that you have prepared for me. I hope that you'll find that. I hope that you'll find that and you'll believe that it's there for you as well. Let us pray. Father, we've come not because we're worthy, but because you whispered to us this morning, I need to talk. We need to hear that whisper again. And I know in a noisy world and a confusing world, it's so hard to hear what you have to say. But in this sacred place among these people, hear our prayer. Guide us, we pray. Help us release the burdens of busyness and help us to just be quiet and at peace with you, to know that you love us and that you have a place for us in your kingdom and that together we will get, continue to work to bring glory to your name and to the light to this world. So help us now as we sing and as we praise you for all these and so many others. We give you thanks in Jesus' name, amen.